At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Showcase, the baby started crawling in my absence. There's there's video uh, of that. I'm told we shouldn't be celebrating because now we can't just put her somewhere and expect her to stay there. I, I guess that's probably something I should be prepared for for the next, you know, 40 some years or so. But we got a lot of news that's piled up we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. Obviously, uh, it was great having John on for the Top 10 Prospects. Uh, we're, Danny and I are going to do a little bit more talking about that probably next week after the Christmas games are over. And maybe even go back and take a look at how some of our previous takes on Prospects of Age. I've actually been doing this list since 2014. So it'd be pretty interesting to go back and take a look at that. But for now, we got some news. And then I want to catch up some on the G League Showcase and some of the conversations that I had there. Also got a chance to really experience a bunch of games using the Elam ending, or I'm sorry, the target score as it's known, and got a few thoughts uh, on that as well. So let's begin here with the news. And Danny, what is the biggest thing that we have to discuss? A potential new owner for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA and a potential transition from Robert Sarver to Matt Ishbia. And that's the pronunciation I've heard. Well, again, I'm sure we'll get Ishbia is... is massive and the timing of the transition all of the details are not firmly out yet Woj had it that the purchase price is in the neighborhood of four billion and it's important to note as of now that that number of roughly four billion that is the evaluation of the team that is not necessarily how much Ishbia and any other investors are investing yeah, because his, his brother is going to be a, a, a big investor as well yeah and he'll be an, and his brother will be an alternate governor as well and reportedly and so but Ishbia is definitely at least getting Robert Sarver's portion, but we don't know everything else and also the Phoenix Mercury. We know they're a part of the package too. So this is extremely exciting for people like me and pretty much everybody who thought that Robert Sarver was an awful owner, not just in the ways that affect the competitiveness on the floor, but it, the timing of this, considering Baxter Holmes had a piece, I think the day before on ESPN, talking about the organizational problems and included within that, there was some thorniness in terms of the uh, some of the high-level people within the Suns org that could not be removed without Sarver's permission. So maybe that train can start rolling as soon as the transfer actually takes place. And so this should be exceedingly exciting for Suns fans. And honestly, if you like competitive basketball in the NBA, you should be excited about this too. Yeah, I think so. And uh, Ishbia has this background. He played on Michigan State's 2000 National Championship team as a walk-on. 
a lot of ties to Michigan State. It made his fortune. I think there was an inheritance involved, but expanded his fortune uh, via a mortgage company. It's funny, you got Dan Gilbert, who's also from Michigan, also has a, a mortgage company that apparently is a, a rival of Ishbia's. And Sarver has always been ranked one of the worst owners in the NBA. The Suns have been one of the cheaper organizations in the NBA during that tenure. Interestingly, they are now paying the luxury tax, and I'm sure Sarver is no coincidence that they are in the tax when Sarver, the the check gets cut at the end of the year, and Sarver will apparently be gone by then. In terms of the valuation, the four billion in the neighborhood of four billion, I think it's critical to know. I mean, number one, that's a very very good looking number for the NBA. The pre yeah previous high value is in the 2.3 range uh, with Joe Sy for the Nets. Now, it's worth noting a $4 billion valuation is not the same as here's $4 billion in cash. You noted that it, it could just be buying Sarver's portion. Sarver does have the right to sell controlling ownership. I think it's been reported that he owns about 35% of the team. And so if you're going to buy 35% of the team at a $4 billion valuation, what's the math on that? You know, one, I don't know, I'm too tired to fi- figure that out. But whatever that math is, it kind of doesn't work all that way because the minority shares aren't going to go for the same price. If that 35% comes along with controlling ownership, that's going to be at an inflated price. And maybe there's more of a depressed price from the other shares of the team. And frankly, if you're a SPIA, why, why, why bother buying more than 35%? Just buy Sarver's share. You get controlling ownership. That's the important thing here. Well, I mean, if, if you just... think it's a good investment, then you can, but you could also sure. get it at a different but, price but, and everything else. Yeah. yeah, but also, I mean, what, why not just be more diversified at that point too? Fair. For, like, it, it, it's not like, hey, this is going to be amazing to get another, to, to throw in some more liquidity into this. Like you get what you wanted, which is it owning the team in any event so we'll see what the eventual details are on that and i don't know what the deal is you know are there tag-along rights that was a big thing in the timberwolves continuing to occur sale <laughs> that uh to mark Lore and, and alex rodriguez but certainly it's good that this is actually happening ishbia can't be worse than robert sarver and i guess the the next thing is just kind of what will happen to the team and obviously there's always speculation whenever there's an ownership change that that could lead to changes in the front office but james jones has had a lot of success so far and it's been somewhat of a unique strategy as was detailed by kevin arnovitz where they're not scouting every draft prospect and they're just honing in on certain guys and whatnot and they have one of the lowest head counts uh, they're some of the back end stuff uh, has not been particularly robust uh, robert sarver is a well-known cheapskate so certainly you would expect there's going to be more of an investment early on it seems like unless things just go horribly wrong this season that it, it seems like it'd be pretty hard to move on from james jones considering that they were in the wilderness uh, before he got there and he's overall you can't really quibble with the job that he's done even though there have been a few missteps so i think maybe more likely is they build out the staff under jones get some more voices in the room maybe even someone that ishbia has more of a connection with perhaps and not to say that he can't connect with james jones but generally owners kind of want their own guy at some point and then if things start to go poorly then whoever that is maybe internally ends up replacing james jones or they just get more of a collaborative process again this is just a a pie in the sky scenario i'm not saying that this is based on anything other than just how i think it could possibly go 
show there's there's no reporting behind that or, or anything just kind of how it works so when a new owner comes in anything and else you wanted to hit on with that i'm sure cam johnson and the other pending free agents over the next couple of years are excited about this because now there's an increased possibility that the suns will pay into the future and we'll eventually have time to think about if and how this affects the decision making on chris paul's situation so chris paul partially guaranteed for 23 24 and then non-guaranteed for 24 25 yeah. My instinct, yeah, fifteen million guaranteed out of thirty for next year. Yeah, so kind of similar in some ways to Mike Conley a year uh, of Mike Conley situation, but with that extra year at the end. But the change in ownership potentially shifts things there. I think the most important part is going to be how Chris Paul plays between now and then, and whether he's available health wise. But ownership's willing to spend is always a variable in that, and the idea of defining success. Now, is Ishbia going to want something different? And I mean, this team is very good right now, and probably going to go there, but. You have all of these different potential shifts when the very, very top changes, even if the other people don't. And we'll have to we'll have to monitor how all that goes. One other small piece. Well, that's it's not small in a certain way of Suns news, but comparatively, Devin Booker is now missing. Th- he's missing the game on Friday. That's his third straight with his groin soreness. So this is the second different. We don't know what which side it is though. <laughs> they are not going to include that in the injury report. Yeah. But it is a second. It's a different injury for Booker than the previous one. So that's two different injuries that have kept him out for multiple games. Yeah, and it was the hamstring before that. Before hamstring before. And so that is a concern, though it's early enough in the season that it's not a, a, a huge, huge deal. And so we'll, again, we'll have to we'll have to really see there. We So we have a, a potential change in, oh, well, I mean, it looks like a change in ownership. And then we also had, while we, while we weren't doing news, a change in general manager. And that is Travis Schlenk is out of the top of the power structure it seems like there's he's going to maintain a role but you also hear things like that because he's you know still still under contract to some extent but Travis Schlenk is no longer the decider let's call it that the decision maker in the Atlanta front office it looks like that's going to be Landry Fields who is the general manager right now due to title inflation but now is the actual decision maker what we typically think of as the general manager we don't have a timeline yet if Tony Ressler is going to bring in somebody else my instinct is Fields is at least going to manage the trade deadline Woj specifically mentioned like that John Collins is still on the block that indicates to me that Fields is going to have the helm which is totally fine and I thought one way of summarizing well, Travis well, quickly Schlenk's- just a, a little bit more on the, on the news first Dan wrote about this uh, on Wednesday but there was the personal issue spend more time with the family that was floated out there and again it, you're it's kind of boy who cried wolf uh, on this sometimes so, you know like stan van gundy leaving the miami heat to spend more time uh, with his family or you know, daryl morey's going to spend more time with his family and then he's gm the, of the sixers a month later <laughs> so uh there's it's it's a shame that like that's kind of gets used so it doesn't get questioned again you just you never know on this sort of stuff if, if he's working for another organization <laughs> very shortly he's got but he's not going to probably because he has a bunch of time left on his contract so he's supposed he's going to be a consultant to wrestler and you know so maybe there is something to the idea that he will still be involved and this is slightly mutual or whatever i mean you, you, but you just there's no way to really know that at least from uh my perch here i'm sure i could probably ask around and, and find out a little more but it, you're about to start talking about uh, now i mean it's amazing to think that travis schlenk has been there for five years to give us a little summary of what the schlenk era has been well, i don't know if it's, if it's a summary but when decisions like this and the troy weaver one we'll talk about in a second happen what i like to work through in my head is if i were the owner of this franchise 
franchise. Would I have extended this decide this decision maker? Would I have fired them, or would I have maybe held the course? We don't always know their contract situation. And with Schlenk, what I think is just a such an interesting summary, not summary, but like reflection into his tenure is that in the 2018 draft. Travis Schlenk traded, he he ended up trading down to the fifth pick, adding what ended up being the number 10 pick the following year in 2019. And that pick was top five protected. Was top five protected. From Dallas. Drafted the second best player in the 2018 draft and still made a mistake. Like that's well, he, might, he actually might not be the second best player anymore. That that would be something interesting to talk about too. But it, yes. certainly for the last three years, it's looked like he was the second best player. Sure, and and so like and Travis Link is actually I would say relative to some of the players taken around them has done pretty well in terms of those elements but you and i over the years we've we've covered the entire schlink tenure during dunked on and made a lot of moves that were aggressive gambles that were that were talent evaluations that we didn't necessarily agree with and then some that we did and some that worked out better than we expected and so like i I don't want to downplay the the successes because there absolutely were many of them but when i thought about the idea of i got in tony wrestler's shoes and said would i want somebody else in place for the trade deadline my answer was absolutely yes yeah i think travis uh, did a lot of good things uh, and he had a scouting background i think most of his scouting calls were pretty decent although trey over luco was wrong the atlanta hawks could have maybe a top 30 player of all time on their team that's how we were talking about him yesterday but i think he, he heard her john collins most of his draft picks seem like they're pretty good he, even deandre hunter i thought the value prop of it proposition of that trade was not great but they identified that they need someone at that position and deandre hunter was definitely the best of those players who were drafted right after him in that draft like i think that actually not that deandre hunter has been so amazing but uh maybe also the thought was like he's not so much more amazing that you should have given up all that draft equity Uh, you know that was uh, and so that trade where they give up 8 17 35 2020 protected first which was the the pick that they got from cleveland for the cow Corver trade actually turned into a couple of pretty good seconds one of them was hers jones uh and they took on 12 million dollars of solomon Hill salary for that number four there was another time where they just took on jeremy lynn's 12 million dollars just when they're in a tanking season it just didn't make any sense at all to use their their money on that you know they did some other trades that were pretty good where they got a first for taking on alan crab's money from the nets and stuff like that so uh I mean, he did build this team into a conference finals team. I think everyone realizes, as we did at the time, what an aberration that is now. And some of his more signature victories, like Kevin Herter traded away, John Collins is completely atrophied and he's going to get traded away now clint capella that was a really good trade that was actually something that we probably should have mentioned in the organization rankings so it was a mixed tenure for schlank and the overall organization rankings for the hawks have kind of been in that that middle of the pack range some hits some misses but i did think the murray trade was you know i was higher on it than you because i i felt like okay you just you take the risk to build around trey young like that's who you have you just try to build around that player and if he's not good enough he's not good enough it's kind of looking like so far he's not good enough and they gave up a lot for murray and that could hurt them so i like i don't think that schlenk has done a horrible job but i completely understand wanting to have new blood and i also think that schlenk might have been peter principled a little bit i think he's probably more valuable in an assistant gm role as a scout 
out and cynic you know that was kind of the role that he played supposedly in golden state before he got hired there uh then as the lead guy on and there i'm sure there's plenty of interference from ownership as well you never know how that plays in either so i i mean i i think you're maybe a little lower on him than me but i think yeah it's it's probably time for for a change there i mean maybe you could say you want to give him one more trade deadline to try to still build this team but he he put a lot of treasure into this team and it obviously was not the contender they hoped it would be and the last thing i want to mention is Travis Link got to hire two different coaches during his tenure. They he brought in Lloyd Pierce in 2018, and, and there were times that I actually thought Lloyd Pierce was doing a good job. But then he was out of town in 21 when they fired him and brought in McMillan, Nate McMillan, as an interim head coach. And then McMillan was the coach as they made the conference finals run, and then got the main job. And then has seemed to me, you know, kind of tying in with what what the criticisms before the offense has been outmoded and outdated. And Trey Young could have conflicts with. I, I mean, I outmoded enough that they were the number two offense last year like sure. that, that 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 should be noted that it's on his resume yeah um, but yeah obviously i think it, their their shot selection is not great now part of that obviously is personnel right sure like, you know deandre hunter dribbling in shanti murray dribbling in you know there's there's a lot of reasons for that in addition to mcgillen's coaching style but part of it is that he also had a similar shot chart for his offense in indiana right too. but uh, also worth noting when he left indiana it's not like things got so much better there either you know like there there are some things that he's probably doing that were good but you know he and trey are clashing now and so maybe the fact that to also say travis like you're gonna make the collins trade you're gonna try to fix this team you're gonna hire the new coach maybe it felt like all right we this is an inflection point here we let you make your big trade it hasn't been working let's let someone else try to take the next step here but the landry fields or whoever it is is gonna have a a difficult road for sure right and i I actually was thinking back to when the Pacers fired Nick McMillan and we one of the things we said was there's a distinct chance that the next coach they hire doesn't do as well but you still should make the move because they're not one of the best people they're not one of the big value adds and that's how I would describe Shank like he's, I don't think he's one of the worst GMs in the league but you want to try see if you can get something better even if there's a chance that you don't and that dovetails notably oh actually before we move on from the Hawks Clint Capella hoping to return Friday he's been missing time with the right calf strain Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the Slim Roughneck Pant, featured in Giant Magazine, issue two. Every American Giant piece is made in America and designed to last no exceptions, and it provides year-round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use that finisher code CAPSPACE at checkout. You remember, we talk about CAPSPACE all the time 
nightmare in the room. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. But that dovetails nicely with the decision from the Detroit Pistons. And it's the second time that we've had it this year where a notable figure within an organization inked an extension with the team over the summer or at least a while ago. And we just didn't hear about it until now. And this time it is Troy Weaver signed an extension. I believe the terminology that I've heard, I think Vince Goodwill has had this, was like is over the summer or it was done a while ago in some form. And so then the question becomes the kind of the three choices. Would If you were Tom Gores, would you have extended Weaver? Would you have held firm or would you have fired him? Yeah, so he came in. This is his third full season. And I wonder, you know, was it a three-year deal? That's what Monty McNair has. He's still kind of hanging out there a little bit. Sam A. Mick and a couple others have reported that an extension may be coming there early next year right right so and again that and dan wrote about that too that maybe it's a little premature for a victory lap there but they also do need to have a gm for for next year we could go with the old bloggable test danny you know that one the if this guy became a free agent would he get hired somewhere else he certainly i don't think he would get hired as a gm necessarily i, I think he would certainly be hired at, at a you know one level below that and he is a great reputation as a scout and that's where his best success have been and you mentioned the similarity with schlenk because these are both guys who i think their scouting evaluations are the best thing about them maybe there's a little bit too much confidence in that but they're just these weird kind of fits and starts and moves that don't seem to fit into an overall plan now the signing of jeremy grant that was when we're like holy shit this doesn't make any sense at all no actually he was way better than we thought he blossomed and then they now have jalen duran because they signed him and traded for him got that milwaukee pick and we're able to get uh, the number 13 pick this year in trade for that plus taking on some money and he, he as much as there were some questionable signings over the years he still pretty much always had cap flexibility so it's not like that was really killing them you know plumley Olenek, bagley like it's it's not like they're Christian Wood. going forward would you say yeah 
Christian Wood because that was another kind of value play there. Oh no, that was the uh, no, trade. no. They let Wood go. Yeah, that was that's right. It was. Yeah, they, I think that was the previous regime that actually, it was. That you're right. You're up. right. It was. Yeah, because um, I mean, because so, Weaver yeah. only took over. It was June of 2020. So uh, to me, I I still, I mean, John and I have talked about this very extensively. You can go back and listen if you didn't to our organization rankings with some of some of our issues with the Pistons overall and Weaver. I mean, I think one good thing about Weaver is most people seem to think he's done a way better job than we do <laughs> and i think he has at least gotten people to want to sign there and he overall has a good reputation and so he's improved the reputation of this franchise in the nba and you know like boy and bogdanovich got traded there and then he extended so there's he's been able to make it so it's not just like a wasteland in terms of just being a, an attractive place for people to go so that is important particularly in, in detroit and for a team that has some cap space aspirations going forward and it's honestly it's too early to say now if they're giving weaver an eight-year contract extension then yeah no i, I wouldn't do that but if his contract was coming to an end i, I think he's seems to have largely done a pretty good job in the draft and that's really the most important thing all this well, other stuff around here putting the team together around kate all that like that's that's window dressing right now some weird free agent signings the most important thing for this franchise is get another great pick in the 2023 draft so well here, here's keep the, him around to do that good here's the thing about weaver's draft record though is i mean there are four significant picks here that i, I would yeah, argue we don't know yeah so one is in 2020 drafted killian hayes seventh killian hayes is doing a little bit better now but and, and it just so happens yeah. that a bunch of the players taken right after him have not lived up Tyrese Halliburton I mean I had him yeah, fourth. I, I mean he left. took someone at the same position at Tyrese the same position so like you have that yeah. Kate Cunningham number one I think it was the right player taken I, I mean we'll see how things work at the t- at the time that's what I believed and we'll see where things work out Cunningham has been sabotaged by injuries the last couple of years and then this year Jaden Ivey over Matherin Sharp and everybody else that was there and then Jalen Duran over the players that were available there so I think that weaver has a reputation with these evaluations but i'm not all the way sold that he like drafts the right guy all the time but you you need time to bear that out and why like i to answer my own question from before i would have held firm without extending him for right now just because well well, we don't know when his contract ended though that's the problem but even if it was the like this year i kind of want to see well where is where is killian hayes and i mean but for me, Weaver, we talk about this a lot with coaches. I, as of right now, I don't think he's in that like really big value add GM group, which is narrow. And oftentimes those GMs make bad decisions too. So you do that, but the, are the Pistons going to identify and s- secure that person, whoever that is? Unclear. So I, but I don't, I'm not like vehemently opposed to the extension. I think it's, I think it's, no. a, re- it's a reasonable idea at bare minimum. And, and apologies. And for this franchise, stability, I think is, is important. And they've had a lot of turnover at that position it would have been a bad look to just have him leave when sure. the rebuild isn't even close to complete and it's not i wouldn't say the rebuild's going like poorly no. i mean the you <laughs> taking taking less taking less of a return to add to have i mean burks we've talked about the offensive rating when he's been on the floor but burks and noel and like the idea that they were trying to be better this year and have been one of the four worst teams in the league anyway like wasn't that was the case last year too like they were intending to be good and then or be better and they just weren't and that is i mean it kind of you could argue it kind of worked out in the sense that they were able to not get that sabotage and draft equity i mean you wish they could have gotten better than the fifth 
pick last year. I was trying to remember what their lottery odds were. I think they, yeah, they had the third worst record last year. Um, but as you said, they ended up getting something for Jeremy Grant, and he also helped them and and everything else. So yeah, I, that that would have been my decision. I, I'm I'm as I said, I'm okay with the decision to extend him. I'm not sure that I would have done it, but I definitely like wouldn't have just fired him right away. He's yeah. done a lot of good now, things. Now, if he if he had a four year deal, then I would say no, just chill and let's see how this right. draft and free agency goes. Uh, but but I guess well the other issue too, Danny is well then what if he starts doing shit to try to save his job? For sure, and that's and that's why I would have let go of Schlank is the not, there is there is basically nothing that's more dangerous for a franchise than a general manager who's trying to save their own hide because they make decisions yeah. that are contrary to the oh. best the best wishes of the franchise and everything else. Well, it, it may have worked. To- putting that pressure on david griffin we shall see uh, on that one we, well we that and draft that and drafting really really well last year yeah um, i mean cj mccollum had 40 today so yeah <laughs> that's uh it, it's not a great day for for the that trade wasn't wasn't a great one even though obviously the time horizon sure. is much longer what's our next thing here desmond bain might be back sooner so he originally had a three to four week timetable in i think it was december 7th was the last because that was the update on that and now it looks like we don't know if he's going to come back on friday's questionable after being out for since then but looks like he'll be back potentially for christmas which is exciting and we still haven't gotten to see memphis's three best players of john morant jaron jackson jr desmond bain play together at all this year and so the idea that the team who has the third best net rating in the nba per cleaning the glass hasn't had their three best players at all this year is pretty exciting someday we should do a ranking of which teams are the most full of shit or injury reporting certainly memphis would be right up there they're pretty transparent with jaron and now it's like we thought oh man this could everything could be fucked with bane like this could be another like two month absence they said three or four weeks initially and that actually as it turns out that wasn't too far off in the end i guess they just wanted to take the pressure off or something but with Jaron back now, and you know, Jod quietly has actually started to lose some efficiency this season, and hopefully that can go back up with the return of Bain. We'll see how long it takes Bain to get back in the swing of things. So he's shooting forty-five percent for three on a huge number of attempts and doing more pick and roll. That was all really exciting. We'll see how Dylan Brooks can deal with uh, having to be the third option or fourth option again now. But these guys being whole, nobody else in the West is doing anything. KP wrote a piece about who he expects to come out of the west or at least to be the number one seed and i agree with him i think the grizz now that bane is back hopefully they won't get any other injuries at least for a little while but they also seem to do well when guys are out they seem like the team that's going to be playing the best regular season basketball in the west now that bane should be returning you know it'll take them a week to ramp up obviously let's get to chicago here uh, where They'd fallen to 11 and 18. They got two clutch wins over Miami and then a, a crazy game winner where an air ball from DeMar DeRozan basically bounced off the chest of John Collins. Io DeSumo, who was only in because Alex Caruso got a concussion earlier in the game going for a loose ball, is just standing under the basket. It bounces right to him for the game-winning layup. He then gets knocked down onto John Collins, and the entire Bulls team celebrates on Io DeSumo, who's on top of John Collins, who just let the rebound go through his hands. <laughs> so uh, that's things aren't going too well for John Collins these days, although at least he's back from injury. And so despite that, they had this loss 
over the weekend where they came up buck 50 to minnesota and joe collie of the sun times confirmed by casey johnson that there are quite a few blow-ups at halftime of that loss to the wolves uh particularly angry at zach levine for defensive breakdowns shams and darnell mayberry of the athletic reported on ongoing issues between DeRozan and levine although there were it never said that like the guys didn't like each other or something but that clearly there might be fit issues between the two and then there's also reporting that the organization and Levine are not seeing eye to eye and then also that uh, you remember Danny when we noted how oh it's very interesting that Billy Donovan the news of his extension leaked out a couple of weeks ago and I was like hmm maybe that's a little message to the team that this guy's gonna be here so shut up uh there's <laughs> skepticism among chicago players about coach billy donovan so maybe my guess there was correct that that's why that leaked at that time without caruso they could be in trouble as well lonzo is like had an interview today and he's like slowly making some progress but still dealing with pain and he thinks he's gonna have to manage it so yeah i'll believe it when i see it when he comes back and then i'll believe it whether he's effective or not i you just you wonder why like what it is here for the bull oh and then there's also reporting out of la that the lakers won't be trading two first round picks very likely unless a star who could grow with anthony davis comes available and hey guess who zach levine is represented by okay well (laughs) That, that's what I was thinking about what would be kind of like gaming it out and the Lakers offering those two first round picks for Zach Levine, who we just talked about the risk of him being one of the worst contracts in the league. And then the Bulls turning it down would just be, I mean, w- which we would never hear about if that's the way it goes, if that's the way it happens, would just be, it would just be remarkable. And I think it's distinctly possible that that is something that happens. It also is, is a deal. Well, they that- need someone to make AD look like the healthy one. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, also, uh, and and there 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 were there have been a number of pieces recently, including one by Chris Haynes talking about like that were like kind of rival executive pieces that kind of come out in the early part of the trade season. Of rival executives think Demar Derozan might want his way out. Well, well, I, I'd rather think about that if we get it from somebody that isn't a rival executive. There was also something in that about Trey Young potentially being the next star out, but he's not doing it right now. Um, but on the Bulls front, Caruso has this concussion. We don't have a timeline yet on him. And Derek Jones Jr. sprained his ankle and has now missed two straight. He, two, he, Friday will be his second straight miss. They're, the Knicks are playing the Bulls on Friday. Oh, actually, and where I wanted to go, I, I, I regret not mentioning this when we talked about the Suns and the neighborhood of four billion valuation another reason that matters is potentially in the negotiations let's call it for expansion and adam silver this isn't a huge surprise but i think it bears emphasis that in an availability recently he basically said that the timeline here is that expansion will not happen until the new cba and the media rights deals are done so he's like basically those are done and then we turn to expansion not guaranteeing that expansion will happen but that that is the timeline and that also makes some sense because you kind of want those ducks in a row and i believe there's some stuff in terms of how the equity is shared and everything else but this valuation of the suns i'm sure the league i'm sure the other owners are thrilled about that because 
this is the highest valuation ever for a team. And particularly if there's going to be an expansion team in Seattle, a more robust media market than Phoenix, they're, you know, a higher price tag is good for the league. It's not great for the rich person who's going to do it, who I'm not going to crack crocodile tears for them, but it is important. Make way for 16 and 64, actually. (laughs) Maybe a few more than 64. What else we got here? It was an impressive win for the Cleveland Cavaliers on, that was on on Tuesday. No, sorry, that was Wednesday when they, uh, they ended up being the Bucks by eight, but they were at times up by, I believe, 20. Um, I thought that the one of the interesting stories was having two capable pull-up jump shooters really opened up some stuff because we know what Milwaukee's going to do defensively, but also some really nice work by Jared Allen and also interior passes to Jared Allen, entry and kind of big to big. Um, so I, th- I thought that it was a, a very nice win for the Cavs. And they also had the context that Evan Mobley had right knee soreness. He only played 23 minutes in that game. He's questionable for the Cavs game on Friday. And they also did it without Lamar Stevens, who has now missed three st- straight with right knee soreness. So it was Okoro in the starting five and then Karis LeVert and Kevin Love and Jetty Osmond. So they played an eight-man rotation in this game. And I, I thought it was a nice win for the Cavs. Yeah, Giannis said 45 and the Bucks still didn't make it to 100? Oh, they made it to 100. They had 106. Uh, oh, oh, it was 114-106. Sorry, I just thought it was 104. They didn't get there until fairly they didn't get there until fairly late but they did um yeah don't trust a memory acquired in las vegas man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches everybody sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So the Mavs, as we feared, it's going to be surgery for Moxie Kleba. We thought that would be the case once Jason Kidd said it was the same injury that Chris Middleton had in 2016. It was really more of a hamstring tendon tear. Middleton had the surgery in September, didn't come back, I think, until March. It was 132 days after that surgery. And that would mean Kleba won't come back to the playoffs. And generally, almost nobody comes back in the middle of the playoffs. And it has much of an effect, particularly if you've been out for that long long of a of a time period maybe if you've had like an arthroscopic surgery that you know a couple of like six weeks earlier or something you can come back and have an effect but uh or like a non-surgery mcl or something like that we've seen guys be able to come back but it's very rare that guys come back in the midst of the playoffs and particularly a, a role player like kleba and so really a bummer there he, he's their best big that five out look uh, with him was uh, has always been their best lineup uh, the last few years and so obviously the mavs were not looking like they're on a great path we'll always have to have the caveat that hey they looked like shit at this time last year too they were on 500 or that hey remember the celtics were 19 and 21 and then they got the number two c and they made the nba finals but that is and they're also like not too far behind but another problem too is just it doesn't really make sense for them to make a trade because they're kind of going for the big moves so this is as zach Lowe said team holding pattern and it looks like they're gonna kind of maybe in the play-in mix seems unlikely that they could get home court advantage maybe they'll just start playing better who knows but it's, they don't have the obvious fix of Luka Doncic just playing way better because he'd been terrible so far so gonna be a lot of Christian Wood maybe we'll see him close games maybe he'll grow as a defensive player it doesn't seem like Jason Kidd is particularly enamored of him right now maybe that'll juice the offense but obviously losing a great player like Kleba I, I mean not, maybe not a great player but a great fitting player like Kleba is gonna make things difficult and then they're also missing Dorian Finney-Smith at this point point he's gonna miss the second straight on friday with a right adductor strain and i think he had to leave the game due to that and when you leave the game due to muscle injury you know you're looking at one week at least and maybe more than that so uh what else we got here we got separate reporting from mike scotto of hoops hype and josh robbins at the athletic kind of on the direction of the wizards and scotto's was basically that the wizards think their roster is better than their record currently indicates and they want to see where things are before they make roster changes and because yeah, they haven't been healthy enough that's yes. why and josh robbins we may end up in using this is that he that the terminology he used for what the wizards are going for is a middle build strategy on as they as they retain bradley beal who also of course has a no trade clause and building middle building is great but middle targeting is i think more more applicable here um well and the wizards after those i think those pieces came out a little earlier in the week and then they lost by eight in utah a couple days after that they have been playing without christoph's porzingis who is uh, yeah, they, that was on Thursday, who Kristaps Porzingis is dealing with a non-COVID illness, Denny Avdia with lower back soreness. So, well, of course, monitor both of those. Yeah, and quickly, this whole like, hey, we got to get healthy, evaluate our team. They've got a negative 0.3 net rating with Beal on the floor, negative 0.4 with Porzingis, negative 1.3 with Kuzma. Those are the three best players. It's when they've had to go to their bench that they've really been getting smoked. And so, yeah, you know, they, they're uh, if they're targeting in the middle, they need to evaluate, right? Like the, the bar is so low that they're shooting for that it's very easy to talk yourself into the 
possibility of still reaching it. And yeah, you know, okay, fine. You know, when you've been completely healthy, I could squint and see a 500 team here. Congratulations. Don't trade him. You don't want to lose that. In San Antonio, Keldon Johnson has now missed two straight with a lower back contusion. The Spurs fell to the Pelicans on Thursday and New Orleans, you talked about CJ dropping 40. They were playing without Zion Williamson, who is now in the health and safety protocols, and Larry Nance, who has now missed two straight with right Achilles soreness. Yeah, and that's can be something that lingers certainly like there isn't uh, the achilles is kind of a slow to heal area and you can rest it certainly Uh, hopefully it's not something that's going to linger too much for him Uh, and they still beat the spurs anyway but that's the spurs today so i'm and the game against the bucks was really interesting with them just letting Jonas valanciunas fire away as much as they wanted to and and often putting a guard on zion and then just relying on the help defense was really interesting too. yeah and when that guards drew holiday that that's nice too sure yeah and the pals you know as soon as they went on a big win streak and brandon ingram is still out for them with that toe soreness too as soon as they go on a big win streak then they lose four straight and so nobody kind of wants it <laughs> wants it in the west to right now except maybe the the grizzlies who are tied for the lead in in the conference but yeah having nance out it's going to be tough for for them i think to go on a run they're going to reintegrate ingram also that i think could be a little bit difficult for them whenever he does come back doesn't seem like we've heard a a report on him recently at least that i've seen as far as like his return being imminent or anything like that but you never know let's save this next conversation well actually no we'll yeah let's save that for the end here that could be a nice transition into the showcase in orlando chumo kk remember he tore his left acl in the ncaa tournament in 2019 and this is the same knee now that he's having surgery on expected to miss at least one month it's to repair and reshape damaged cartilage in a joint in his left knee that's repair usually makes you and damaged cartilage well that's usually your meniscus repair makes you think well there's sewing it back together that's longer than a month reshape is okay they're probably taking some of it out <laughs> so this is a very unclear report the timeline however would indicate this is a hopefully a minor meniscus trim but a, okay okay he's flashed at times his three-point volume has been good i think he's had moments as a wing defender but has had these bouts of unhealthiness including when he first joined the team he missed his whole first year so that's really a shame and you know still back up forward is a little bit of a pain point for Orlando we still haven't heard anything of course on the return of Jonathan Isaac it just that he's kind of still trying to ramp up conditioning wise conceptually Jonathan Isaac will play in a basketball game that we can see at some point um similar to that Gary Payton the second uh hopes to return next week per Chris Haynes I think the first time we heard that was over a month ago but here's hoping Gary Payton the second can play love watching him especially defend and then Justice Winslow sprained his left ankle t- uh in, in the third quarter of what eventually was a loss to the Thunder, Lou Dort played awesome defense on Damian Lillard on the last possession, and the Thunder pulled that one out. We don't have a timeline yet on Mr. Winslow. Yeah, that was a fun set with Shea hitting the game winner in the previous game over the aforementioned Winslow as well. And there are a bunch of plays back and forth uh, with Lillard and Shea in the last few minutes of the first game of that set, which I was able to watch some of. For the Lakers, Russell Westbrook has missed two straight with left foot soreness, but it looks like he'll be back Friday, and then the, the Lakers play Friday against the Hornets and then they play on Christmas Day and then Austin Reavers we don't have an update on him he's missed two straight with a right ankle sprain so we'll have to get a timing there and then yeah the the Jovan wrote something today called him the Lakers third best player I can't really argue with him not too much and their co-tenants at the crypt 
Uh, John Wall, I, I thought this was a, an interesting combination. So John Wall is questionable due to, uh, on for the game Friday due to a right ankle sprain. And Law Murray pointed this out. This is the first time this season that John Wall has been on the injury report other than maintenance. So pretty happy that John Wall, after his battles with injuries over the last couple of years that he's gone, you know, this 30 plus games without being on it for anything other than management. And then we'll see, hopefully this ankle sprain is not too severe. The Pacers got a surprising and impressive win over the Boston Celtics on Wednesday. Um, unfortunately, Tyrese Halberton is questionable for their game Friday against the Heat due to right wrist soreness. And Aaron Neesmith, who got dunked all over by former teammate Jason Tatum, is questionable due to a right ankle sprain. It's a left thumb contusion that has Eric Gordon out on Friday for Houston against the Mavs. Golden State, they have been getting completely destroyed. They lost a back-to-back by roughly 753 points in New York and Brooklyn. No Steph Curry, no Andrew Wiggins. Wiggins should be back from the adductor strain that was initially termed minor, and now I think he's missed eight or nine straight games. He should be back against the Grizz on Christmas. Steph, of course, still has a way to go. They're missing Dante DiVincenzo, who's been a very key piece for them in the absence of Steph. He's got a non-COVID illness, and coincidentally, his teammate, Jamichael Green, has entered the COVID protocol. So amazing how all these guys get non-COVID illnesses right around the same time one of their teammates gets, gets COVID. Then in Denver, Jamal Murray missed the Nuggets' last game with a left knee issue, and he's questionable for Friday. Always, of course, worth monitoring with Murray yeah I think it was just left left knee soreness which that's not great to see because coming back from the knee surgery and then the Knicks finally Fred Katz was desperately awaiting this uh, one of the longest investigations in league history other than the Robert Sarver the Knicks will be losing a 2025 second for tampering with Jalen Brunson and what they are being penalized for is illegally having contact with him prior to the opening of free agent the free agent period they are not being penalized for hiring Rick Brunson they are not being penalized for any discussions between Rick Brunson and his son and that's one of the things that makes this tampering so ridiculous like okay well player to player isn't tampering and you know now it's father to son is not tampering so uh as I I that was one of the topics that came up uh, at the showcase and Quentin Grimes didn't play as the Knicks win streak ended coincidentally his elevation in the starting lineup started off this nice run they'd been on by the way Pascal Siakam was phenomenal in that win for the Raptors yeah 52 points seven assists for him and it, you know it took that ridiculous performance but uh so it, no reason to think that the Knicks are like you know falling off uh, after that those uh big shot making but we're getting a we'll see whether toronto chicago whether we're seeing a dead cat bounce here for some of these teams or whether they're actually going to get back into contact here in the eastern conference playoff picture so let's start by talking about tampering here and obviously with the new cba on the horizon it was a big topic of conversation overall at the g league showcase nobody that i talked to though and again these i'm not talking to the negotiators i'm not talking to anyone from the player association not talking to anyone from the league and john has often noted that front office personnel are kind of the last to know on some of these negotiation things sometimes but there seemed to be nobody that i talked to and i asked a lot of people this question like do you think there's a possibility of a lockout and everyone said no we're everyone's making too much money at this point although the point was made to me that maybe that's not the case for anyone everyone you know i don't think there's enough consensus for a lockout but that some of these teams are maybe technically in the black but not by that much and obviously 
there are accounting benefits that can accrue and there's a, the franchise appreciation that can accrue but you, you don't want to be plowing extra money in like there are very few businesses where people want to be doing that and so you you get it john i've talked about this some too where you get into this band between the cap and the tax and that band and then how much you're getting back in luxury tax payments from some of the other teams like that makes the difference between profitability and not on a year-by-year basis for a lot of these teams and you know a team like indiana it's never been one of the higher revenue teams a, a san antonio two teams that are just below the cap this year yes you have the minimum salary but okc last year although they haven't been afraid of the tax before when it's actually made sense but that combined with the lack of just like terrible money and when we talked about in the bad contracts pod maybe we're just gonna see more of these teams like yeah we'll just leave some of the space unused maybe we'll make a deal around the draft or something it's not the end of the world let's make some money here yeah uh so but but again it doesn't seem like there's enough consensus but another thing that i think is a possibility here is particularly with local tv rights and yeah if you're one of these smaller market teams like how much are you actually getting there you know are are we talking 15 20 million are we talking less than that but it seems like at least from the sports media experts that i follow that those deals as of right now they go up every year like you have these increases built in but the footprint of subscribers and all that is shrinking so the rsns are in real trouble and when it comes time to renegotiate these deals they're going to be flat there might even be reduced there's nobody else who's going to want to take them and because they all just have fewer subscribers now they can't afford it so there could maybe be and adam silver's even talked about some short-term pain with respect to rsns and perhaps that can eventually be alleviated by folding more rights into the national tv deal and just generally going to more subscriber stuff more direct to consumer stuff but that could also be something maybe that would push some of these lower revenue teams to say hey we need more revenue sharing now and so that that of course is something which uh, an internecine fight between the owners but is still something that could possibly impact the cba negotiations but again i will say there is nobody who felt like hey we're headed for a lockout here or anything like that now they could be wrong but there's nobody who even thought you know this is getting even close to the summer or anything like that even if there is a little bit of little bit of issues right now it seems like that it's not done at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Something I wanted to ask you is this was, I think, your first extended time with the Elam ending, with the target score. What did you think seeing a lot of games in succession that operated under that premise? I tried to go into it with an open mind. You know, I had seen it in the All-Star game. Other than that, not really. Let's just explain what the Elam ending is first uh, for those. Uh, and actually, uh, I was excoriated that it's, it is the target score. Uh, they don't want to use the term Elam. They use the term target score, but I think this guy who came up with it is but can we just explain what that is first uh, i'm i'm happy to do it if you yeah uh, i, I can't remember i can't remember mind. what the exact trigger is but basically you take you take the leading team's point total at the end of three quarters this is the way the the g league is administering it and then you add is it 25 to that yeah so, yeah so so i mean it basically turns the game into a pickup game yeah like like we've all played at the club or, or whatever and or the park where the game ends on a basket or a free throw when you get to a certain number like that's how every pickup game gets played there's no clock there or anything like that and there's no clock here either so the fourth they've already been doing the target score in overtime where it's first team to seven points wins in overtime and now it's that of course the, the score is already tied so it's just whoever scores seven points first wins the game which i got i think if you're gonna do it in overtime that's a good number i think overtime should be reduced to three or maybe even two minutes because there's just a lack of tension in those first two three minutes of overtime and you're it's already like really close and tense i don't know why you need five more minutes of basketball it just causes it more separation between the teams and makes the ending less dramatic in, in the end so why not just make the overtime shorter i, I like overtime in summer league too when it's only two minutes in any event so yeah let's say the score is 75 70 the target score then is 25 more than the leading team so it becomes 100 so and then it's just whoever gets to 100 first there's no clock the game does not end until one team gets to 100 and the chief argument and forgive me if i'm not getting all of these for those who favor the target score is you now you don't have to deal with all the fouling at the end of games to get the ball back and you don't have to deal with the i mean that's the biggest thing that like the fouling is boring the free throws at the end are boring this just forces you to play regular basketball until the end you get a stop you try to score you just got to do that better than your opponent and then the other big argument for it is hey there's a game ending shot in every game and so like what could be more dramatic than that taking that second point first i felt like the drama wasn't as good and now not too many of these games were that close there's a couple of them where the trailing team in theory theory if they had gotten a stop could have then won the game themselves but the problem to me there is there's no do or die situation there's no buzzer beater and that's the most iconic moments in nba history or great stops at the end right like there's now if you're the defense it's like hey it's do or die for the defense but there's never a situation where it's do or die for the offense because you could always just get a stop at the other end and then come back so the idea that like i just hit a game-winning shot like yeah you did win the game but it's also you weren't gonna lose if you didn't make that shot you weren't even gonna go into overtime necessarily if you didn't make that shot so that's the biggest thing that i missed is just that moment when all right we're in we're down one we're inbounding the ball 
if you don't make the shot the game's over you lose and then you make it that's like the most dramatic thing that could happen in an nba basketball game and that would be lost like that's that's what people live for particularly in the regular season when it's kind of like you know, the games start to run together and there aren't that many special moments and so I, it would kind of dilute that to me um and feel free to react to any of this because uh, you weren't there obviously but i'm sure you have some opinions here so feel free to to break in so that was the number one thing that i didn't like about it there's a, a few others well and one thing i want i was thinking about is you know so you have the target score and that does not guarantee that a game will be close late it just means that you have a different threshold for when the game is over and that i, I i'm interested in you know so you have to where you set the target score is is significant for how much of a chance the other team has and everything else though of course the margin let's call it after three quarters like it was here so does it take longer for the win for the leading team let's say they're up 20 to score 25 points or does it take would it take longer to just play out the fourth quarter well yeah I, the blowouts i thought it's definitely worse um now i mean it, it, there was one uh, there are a couple against one of them which i didn't see where the team came back and made it really interesting and then it was like holy crap you were up by this much like you could lose and it, there is sort of a, a feeling like hey you you still have to actually do something here like yes you're up by a lot but you need to actually hit the bucket to win the game you can't just play like complete shit and just hope that the the clock runs out like you still have to do something right you can't stall you, you know you can't dribble the air out of the ball so that you still need to score like there's no reason to just like waste time so that maybe is an argument in favor of the elam ending but i thought that in the blowouts there was just this sense of like thank fucking god it's finally over when the guy would hit the shot and there are moments where I thought this was a, a pretty funny one where it was a pretty big blowout. It was, I think it was Fort Wayne that had the league. Troubling Queen was playing for them and they'd missed a bunch of chances in a row. And so the other team was like getting within maybe like 10 or something. It still wasn't that close. But then Queen gets out on a fast break, goes for the windmill to end it in style. And someone like ran him down from behind and tipped it away. He ended, Queen ended up getting an offensive rebound tip in to end the game. But it was just like, and it's even worse when it's like a 25 point block where it's just like, God, can you just please end it? Like you've had five chances, just score, just let them score. Just let this game end. So that, that was something that I thought. I, I, like I'm trying to well. imagine the two of us, if this presumably would be on playback. But like the the way we would broadcast an Elam ending of a blow. Well, with I guess with playback we would have we would we wouldn't have to stay to the end. Yeah, we would but, just turn it off but, at that point. Yeah. Um, so and, and I actually don't mind the fouling at the end of games. I like the idea that man, we are so far behind here that we got to just go to these desperation tactics. We got to press. We got to foul. And I like the feeling like hey, you just take care of your business at the foul line. Like you're you're not going to lose. You don't turn it over. You're not going to lose. Like you're in a commanding position but i like that that there's this scrambling aspect to it and desperation tactics like there's not i mean maybe some teams would try this but I, there doesn't really seem like an obvious reason of like why you would press more often like increasing the variance over a smaller amount of time it's like no you just you try to get as many stops as you can in this situation and just whatever on each individual possession gives you the best chance of getting a stop like that's the most important to stop the other team from scoring uh 
And I also thought it was kind of weird that if one team was four points from the target score or two points from the target score, there's almost no point in going for a three. Like, yeah, you could, if you get a three when you're four points from the score, then maybe you, if you get fouled and you only make one out of two free throws, then you could still win it. But that's not a, that's a pretty specific situation there. So it's kind of like, there's just no reason to shoot a three at that point towards the end. But maybe if you're five points from the target score, there is, there's also a discussion that, hey is if you the other team has the ball you're two points from the target score and they're three points from the target score do you foul to prevent them from getting a three up so that you can then come down you know the math on that would be pretty interesting potentially but also seems a little complicated for the casual fan uh you know there's also just generally 25 points to the target score for the leading team if it's just a bad offensive team or also if you want to just put your bad player and at the end of a blowout it could again just take forever like hollinger was at a game after i left they had 10 minutes of actual action non-stop and the score was three to two <laughs> so <laughs> you just you run you run into this issue where it's like i think it would be more strain on players like if it was the game was already over you would have to maybe play your good players for longer and then that would exacerbate some of the regular season problems but the biggest thing is just not having a buzzer beater and i think even like taking that away sucks and then the rest of the benefits to me are are ancillary you know i shouldn't say answer it's like okay maybe some things are better some things are worse like it's not great enough to be worth fucking with it particularly because you could have some unintended consequences you know like i I just don't see why this is so much better i I, but i'm also someone who doesn't just like hate fouling and pressing at the end of games as much as maybe some people do Uh, you know the this idea that you it would make the end of games not take so long you know maybe that's supposed to be a benefit but they already have limited the number of timeouts at the end so it shouldn't be too bad and it's, it's the reviews that are probably the biggest thing that makes it take too long um and then you also have the issue like it would mess up stats if you just you're looking at the box score and you're like okay like you got to kind of get used to that now you can't just be like oh how much time left of this game okay you can't tell your significant other that there's x number of minutes left in the game <laughs> do you say well well they're only 20 points away from the target score like <laughs> so that like what does that mean it's uh, i mean I, and so okay like some of these are like i've never been someone who is like well let's just stick with the way we so we've done it just due to tradition like if there's a way that is clearly better i am all for it you guys know that there are many things that i am all for that would be changes that'd be very significant but i just don't think this is that much better to fuck with it and you take and i think not only is it not obviously better i think it's worse in one very clear way that i don't endorse I mean, what's just kind of your general thought? I know you're not as familiar as having watched, you know, you didn't just watch 15 games like this, but as you just think of the general benefits or even just some of the stuff I laid out, is there anything that kind of pops out to you as being particularly salient? I think that it, it solves a problem that I think is a smaller problem than most. And you and I are kind of of a mind on it. I mean, and we watch a, like a different volume of games. And I know like, you know, my, my, some of my members of my family who are more casual complain about how long the ends of games are, but the unpredictability of an Elam ending, you know, like there's the excitement of, oh, you could come back. It's in some ways it's like weirdly like baseball where it's like, it's never over or a pickup game, but it never being over can potentially be a challenge. So, well, well everyone, everyone has experienced that thing too. When you got next to the pickup game and you're just like, for God's sake, somebody fucking score. <laughs> 
Like just, I, I, I don't want anyone to have to feel that. <laughs> That's one of the worst feelings in the world when they just like these, this terrible team that, you know, once you get on the floor, you're going to just wipe the floor with them. Although there's, they're probably at, at my age. Now there aren't many teams out there that I would feel that way about compared to when I was younger, but still you're just like, just one of you terrible teams win so we can go out and, <laughs> and kick your ass. <laughs> but yeah, it, uh, it's not a great feeling. Um, let's see. I have a bunch of other stuff here. We may not even have time to get to all of it. Uh, but since we're on just the general G League, I, I one of the things I tried to talk about, I didn't actually get to talk to as many people as I wanted to about this specific topic, but of just what tactics we're seeing in the G League. And the biggest thing that was pointed out to me that I think could have some application in the NBA is basically having everyone except the shooter crash the offensive glass. And that's something that Rio Grande Valley on the way to the championship did last year. And I think there are some other teams that are starting to do it now. And then, you know, Rio Grande Valley had, you know, high, 30s offensive rebound rate last year and i thought it, it's very interesting and when it's been studied and i think there are a lot of analytics people now who are very much in favor of crashing more it's i, I it kind of makes sense to me of why doing it with everyone makes more sense because then you force the defense to react to what you're doing right if let's say all right we're normally going to crash one guy and it's our center we'll crash a second guy well the defense probably isn't going to change what they're doing there like they're still guys are there okay just box out your man whatever and the guys in the perimeter they can still leak out and we'll start the break and we're probably that second guy is probably not going to change things now though if you don't box out even on the perimeter or you leak guys out or you try to have someone going for an outlet even or even just stand Standing at the three-point line not boxing their guy out now that guy's like someone will be flying in and you will actually you are guaranteed to have a numerical advantage on the offensive glass as opposed to just a slightly smaller deficit than you normally would and so that's enough where and also coaches are just gonna be like fuck like we can't give up 40 percent offensive rebounds that's enough to where now teams be like fuck like we got to keep our guys in everyone go after the ball box out and so but you're still going to get more offensive rebounds that way but it also takes the steam out of the other team's running game as well and it also i mean it boosts your offensive efficiency number one so they're uh, coming off a make more you're going to get the rebound and getting a make so that'll reduce their running and then also they're just going to be have more guys inside the arc and they just can't really leak out and run it all so you might give up a little bit more in transition if the, someone gets the rebound and pushes it and you're not back but overall apparently the experience has been that it's just not really that damaging to your transition defense for the reasons that i outlined at least in, at the g league level and, and again feel free to break in on some of these thoughts i, I know you weren't there is the first time we're talking about some of this but I, I mean i hope that that some nba teams try that yeah i'd love i'd love to exciting. see them i like it. offensive rebounds yeah and it creates a new tactical wrinkle i always love new tactical wrinkles now possible reasons why it wouldn't work at the NBA level, you don't have in the G League dominating defensive rebounders the way you do in the NBA. Like you don't have just like a vacuum cleaner like a Rudy Gobert or Clint Capella, like these guys who just go get every defensive rebound. Like there just aren't guys with that size. The guys who are crashing in, there's less of a size differential between them and the opposing team's big men to where maybe you would say they can get more defensive rebounds. Um the other thing too is that maybe the players just won't want to do it. Yeah. And you know that that's a, well, that, and, that ties yeah. in years ago. I talked with Kent Bazemore when he was a, like a sub on the like the, when he was a sub on the Warriors about a team running a full court press all the time. And he's like, I, I just don't think you could get enough buy in unless the stars were all the way in. 
Well, and there are just a lot of guys who haven't grown up that way. We've grown up now and they like, no, you get back on defense. You don't hit the offensive glass. Offensive rebounding doesn't matter. And yeah, and, and I think maybe it has possibly more value when you are a small team and then you force the other team to go small and now you can crash. You're like, that's what a lot of G League games are like because, you know, if the big men were that dominating, they would just be in the NBA. So you think, think Andrew Wiggins getting all those offensive rebounds last year against the Mavs and the Celtics, for example. But one of the coaches that I talked to about this, he was like, yeah, you know what? I could ask my players to do that and some of them just won't do it i'm like hey like if you just go in and you can get a stat like that's good for you in the g league like nobody in the g league is like writing a report like hey we should sign this guy he's unbelievable getting back on defense like go get a stat go get the ball score and still it's just not ingrained in some guys to want to do that obviously it takes more effort maybe you get more tired by doing that by crashing um the other thing too that was pointed out to me was it kind of works better on three-pointers those have longer rebounds maybe more likely to go to smaller guys a little further out on the floor and there's just more time on a three-pointer while the ball is in the air to actually crash in from the three-point line if it's a mid-ranger or like some kind of post-up or something like there just isn't time to get from the three-point line to the basket to get the rebound uh so that was another thing that i thought was was kind of interesting about that and you know i'll save some of the stuff that i talked about that was percolating with cba maybe for next week on the kind of trade front i asked that you specifically wanted me to ask people about miles turner i did and i tried to get an understanding a little bit more of his value because you and i think he's really good he just fits so many places etc he's having an unbelievable year from an efficiency standpoint although 43 percent from three and 59 percent from mid-range or, or from floater range you know okay that might be a little unsustainable nevertheless I, it doesn't as i asked around i was like do you think there's anyone who would put more than a protected first rounder lotto protected ish first rounder on the table to acquire miles turner and he said no probably not uh so that's which i i would maybe consider doing that if you had an understanding that he would sign a contract you're interested in beyond this year but because because obviously if he's going to be a rental then yeah that that seems like a reasonable price but i do think he could really transform the way that some of these teams play and so but uh, this is one of those things where again it's like his value just doesn't seem to be that high particularly at the end of his contract not if you trade for him you won't be able to extend him this late it's something he would want to sign so i you know i think that that's part of it but you can also kind of just come to the agreement beforehand if you want to keep him but he's probably looking for 25 million a year and then you think all right you know what is he yeah. worth on that contract and 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 no other yeah. team can do the miles turner thing of that the pacers can with the renegotiation extension of give yeah. him a lot of that money now and then have a lower number so they, they have yeah, some... and you might be able to get more for him after you do that renegotiation right? extension when he's at an artificially low number so yeah if, if that's all you can get is the pacers and you know, i was told and, and again now you if you're any kind of team you want to make it sound like your guys aren't available and it's an overwhelming offer so take this as a grain of salt but i was told that supposedly herb simon is liking this team and you know, doesn't really want to break it up which they're pretty exciting so yeah if if all i'm getting is a protected first rounder a lot of protected first rounder for miles Turner, yeah i'll fucking hold on to him too um and then they're really i it, john and i went through our list to trade candidates and the guys who are like obviously available now there really weren't many others you know, john collins may be uh, on that list of guys you know, your eric gordon type of guys who are like clearly the team involved would be looking to move them jay crowder where that people thought they would have first round value that it's going to take some of these other teams making guys available to really lead to assets 
being parted with in trade and then you also have the problem where with someone like gordon you can't grease the skids by oh we'll send back this other terrible contract because there just aren't that many of those available and many of the teams that have those bad contracts don't have picks to send out either and that's the other thing that's going to impact the trade market is just a lot of the teams that would love to get better just don't have any picks to send yeah it's 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 a big problem and then the some of the teams that are pick rich like the pelicans and the thunder might not be quite ready to throw those out there in a deal i did watch some actual basketball in addition to gossiping around with everyone and saw some of the younger younger assignment players johnny davis i I locked in on him pretty well it's the first time i got to really see him shoot in person i don't think i saw him in summer league and you know not warming up or anything like that too and his shot definitely looks really hitchy his elbow kind of flies out before he'll like get underneath the ball pretty flat shot and the evaluation on him remains relatively the same like i did it was obvious that he plays hard uh, you know he's got a little bit of passing vision i think he tries to play the right way but just the question of what he can be at the nba level if he's not a great shooter like he plays hard defensively like, i think he'd be a solid defensive shooting guard maybe he could get a little bit tougher and, and possibly guard some threes as well but uh, other than just his kind of rugged driving game didn't see a, a ton from him give you his stats in the g league so far i had to see him a couple of times yeah so he is 51 percent true shooting 15% turnovers, 24 usage, and shooting 35% from three, but only taking four a game. I mean, it's not a terrible number because he's playing 25 minutes a game, but you know, you still want that number to be higher for a shooting guard. Remember, it's the, per 36 minutes, it's a think seven seven or eight per 36 minutes as a positional average uh, as shooting guard so yeah he hasn't been particularly good in the g league didn't see a ton uh, that i was enamored of blake wesley interestingly was sent down despite the fact that he had played a couple for the spurs and was doing the exact same thing that he did in summer league where he's getting to the cup quite a bit and even at the g league level just could not finish like he was just missing all sorts of layups getting blocked so there's definitely some burst there he's still coming back from that pretty severe mcl injury it was interesting the defense was like going under on him at every possible opportunity and he was willing to take that shot it looked okay like you could hear that's one of the cool things about the showcase is you can hear everything the coaches are yelling at the players and that is to that end actually yeah go ahead no i was just gonna say that is really cool and to that end i wasn't that impressed with the g league ignite setup now i don't think you need to get into the prospects there's no one who particularly wowed me scoot didn't play he's been out for a month with a, a facial fracture and is getting close to being back but wasn't able to play in these games uh i just if i felt like they there are a lot of plays where they didn't know the play the coach had to yell from the sideline like where everyone was supposed to go so that's not a sign of great coaching there's just a lot of yelling in general that kind of seemed like the the coaching style and so it didn't didn't look amazing to me and they, they've lost a bunch of games or they've been without scoot obviously but and they weren't like totally non-competitive in these games, but it didn't look like you didn't see that sort of issue with some of the other teams that were there. And these guys have actually been together for longer and sure they're younger, but also it, you would like to see that they're at least like able to execute the plays. Um, Charles Bassey looked pretty good. There was one hilarious circumstance where Daryl Morey was sitting courtside and remember, of course, he, they first had that fight with bassy and his agent about the required tender and like getting a guarantee in the second year and then they actually moved on from him 
cutting him and Isaiah Joe. Now he's on the Spurs. But there's a play where there's a loose ball and Bassey started like running towards this table. And there's a bunch of scouting tables that are like right courtside and like Daryl was right in his path. I was like, oh man, is this is, is this gonna write itself for like Dar- <laughs> Charles Bassey like injures Dale Mori on this loose ball? But it, fortunately, he recovered it without having to go flying into the stands. But that, that was pretty funny. And to be clear, by the way, I'm totally tongue in cheek. Like those guys actually, you know, with Charles was like saying hello to Daryl before the game. But I, I thought that was that was just funny. I was like, man, this this headline would write itself. Um, and then, but he was pretty good. He actually had a stretch where he made three threes in a row in the third quarter of a game. And he's just bigger than anyone getting some dunks, a bunch of offensive rebounds. So a, a guy who's probably too good for the G League. We'll see whether he's able to have more of a career. He's had some moments for San Antonio this year as well. Uh, I saw Charlotte this morning and Mark Edwards was pretty good. Uh, I, he's been putting up a lot of stats in the G League. I, I think he's just less of a stiff offensively than you might have been concerned that he was like he can actually move a little bit have pretty good hands good finishing around the room he's trying to post up a fair amount you know that's not i thought he was is kind of annoying the way he did that at duke too like he probably should get that out of his system a little bit it's not like that they were finding him either and defensively he was not i most of, this, of when i saw him he was in like he wasn't in foul trouble because he was out there but he like couldn't he would have been in foul trouble he picked up another foul so he wasn't as aggressive but also like he was laying way back in a drop coverage like there are guys even getting to the free throw line and pulling up where he was just like not impacting them at all but uh, i liked what i saw from him uh, as a finisher uh, uh, on the offensive end bryce mcgowan's looked pretty good looked a, a little more pop athletically than i remember from summer league and had some nice finishes at the room he actually had 24 in the first half against g league ignite this morning um i, I asked a few scouts just about like how some of the roster guys down there have been and peyton watson's been getting uh, all he can eat he's averaging a lot more than three points a game like he averaged at ucla he's actually averaging 19 and getting a chance to shoot a lot he's playing for the grand rapids gold the nuggets have an affiliate now i didn't get a chance to watch any of his games unfortunately but just talking to scouts they said yeah he's kind of getting to explore the studio space getting to shoot a lot but he hasn't been like totally inefficient like that's definitely a step forward for him to be able to you know, play basketball at a competitive level and score at all, given where he was coming from at UCLA. Um, Dale and Terry, he actually would have been in the showcase cup he's been playing a lot for the windy city bulls and getting some good reviews of just a solid winning player can't shoot it all though still and yeah i think that's it that's all the guys i i really was uh, that were roster guys that really stood out to me or i was able to talk to people about so uh yeah sorry i did all the talking danny but uh i guess just come next i wasn't there (laughs) (laughs) you get some good food too hollinger and i had a couple of awesome meals as well um you did get to miss the fire alarm at my hotel that interrupted our recording yesterday though so i i don't know that i got to miss it i experienced part of it (laughs) yeah it took us three hours to record that podcast yesterday all right i'm a little punchy uh i'm gonna sign off here but yeah we'll get to some more of the cba ideas that were kind of being bandied about that that's a little more evergreen than this stuff and we'll be back on christmas day all five christmas games we will discuss them with you till then hope you enjoyed that free episode of dunked on if you enjoy this content and want even more or you know someone in your life uh, who loves basketball and you're looking for a gift dunked on prime makes a great gift you can subscribe or subscribe for someone else as a gift at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm as a special treat today we have even more for you on this free podcast nate danny and john hollinger go over their best prospects in the nba 
Nate and John are recording much more often together now. It's a new feature uh, for for Dunked On Prime. You can get John's content, all of John's content, only exclusively on Dunked On Prime. Again, if you like this content for yourself or someone else, it does make a great gift. Dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Welcome on to my favorite podcast of the year outside of the mock trade deadline and the mock offseason, and that is Top 10 Prospects in the NBA and really exciting Danny and I who have often been accused of groupthink which you know, we talked to each other for an hour a day about basketball so it's not a surprise I'm going to bring in the person that I only talk to an hour a week about basketball to really avoid the groupthink here and that's John Hollinger doing this exercise for the first time John how are you doing great thanks for having me on yeah and Danny uh, of course uh, is here as well and so just to tell people what we're doing here this is the top 10 prospects, and we'll probably go a bit further than 10 as well, in the NBA, age 23 or younger. So that's basketball reference age 23. So they'll have to be 23 or under as of February 1st this season. And the idea behind age 23 is just that's the year when you can still look at this guy's future and project out, oh, he's only 23 years old. 24, obviously completely fully formed, no development possible But by that point. Uh, but, I mean, obviously we have to cut it off at some point. And certainly there are players who have developed really well in the past year who just turned 24 this year, which we'll probably hit on at least a little bit. But, John, just as you went through this exercise, any just opening thoughts that you have? Uh, the awesomeness of the 2018 draft is still very apparent this this is the last year this group will be in the uh will be in the mix here and they still kind of dominate the list yeah and, and i mean some of these guys like trey young isn't even on it uh, anymore uh shea isn't even on it anymore uh, so some of their their best guys uh, have actually graduated off of it already but uh yeah so so danny uh any opening thoughts for you here yeah, I'll talk about this a bit when we get closer to those players, but what was, something that was striking to me about it is just how few individuals that I seriously considered had real playoff experience. Like it's just yeah. it's the nature it's the nature sometimes of where players end up and also, you know, like for example, Zion Williamson missed last year, the Pelicans made the playoffs. Like there are there are circumstances like that as well. And so something all three of us often use as a differentiator, as a calibrator even if we're looking more to the future, this isn't an evaluation of how good are they right now. That's a part of it. It still is a very useful part of the exercise, and we have so little material of that from basically any of these individuals. I found this whole thing very useful, again, because – and I find it – anytime we do these rankings, people are like, oh, what is the point? This is just like clickbait. Like, I actually find it exceedingly useful – for all of my analysis, because it's one thing for a franchise to say, all right, we drafted LaMelo Ball number three or Scotty Barnes number four. Great pick. We love this guy. They're a foundational piece of the franchise. That to me is not enough. I think, you, what does that mean, right? If you, I think there's a lot of value in really forcing yourself or like the Houston Rockets with Jalen Green. Oh man, we love Jalen Green. We think he's going to be great in the future. Like, okay, but what, where does he really rank among these prospects like do you want to answer a question john like all right do we need to keep tanking as a franchise like is this guy enough to be the foundational piece for us and what do we need around this guy 
is he untradeable for Kevin Durant? <laughs> Might be something that would come up, right? So to answer the question, like force yourself to sit down and be like, okay, hey, we love this guy. We think he's amazing. The foundational piece, ah, but he's only like the 17th best guy under 23 in the league that we would want to build around. Like th- th- it kind of forces you to be real about this stuff. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, it's funny. Like you, you go through like a team like San Antonio where they had three guys whose names I wrote down. But uh, their highest ranked guy on my list was 19th. So it's like, yeah. okay, like you you have some nice pieces here, but none of them are gonna be are gonna push you anywhere close to where you're trying to eventually go, unless they get more help. Yeah. So, uh, John, anything else that you really looked at as you were going through uh, the evaluation? Like, what were some of the key criteria that of the players that ranked very highly on this list? Age was the most confounding one, trying to rank guys who maybe aren't as fully formed versus guys who are in their fourth or fifth season. Uh, I thought that was hard. Uh, Positional value played into it a little. Honestly, there aren't that many centers on this list anyway, so uh, it it probably didn't didn't matter that much for that perspective. there were inju- there was in- injury stuff that was hard to calibrate and figure out because you just don't know, and so and really right at the top it becomes an issue almost immediately. Yeah, D- Danny, anything else that, that you want to add as far as your criteria? Yes, briefly, I significantly value the potential, like the probability or whatever, of a player having MVP best player in a playoff series, all NBA, especially first team upside, because those players are incredibly hard to find. They're almost impossible to acquire until they're significantly older. And for some franchises, you could say they're functionally impossible at that point. And so if you can get a player who can do those things, or even who has a possibility there, I will roll those dice more often than the like good player who I really like, who I think is not at quite doesn't quite have that kind of ceiling like that's still something that I do but that also leads to more severe swings for players who especially if they do that by physical profile because if I just don't think they have the goods anymore then they fall below the guys with a higher expected value no that's a a great point and that reason is kind of part of why I will often skew younger on this list maybe than some other people might because I just value that upside and but for some guys, like Shaden Sharp is a great example. He's not going to be in my top 10. But he's a guy where you can see the crazy upside with him. I, I had him ranked very highly in the draft. I actually already would be moving him down because while I think he's had success in some ways that maybe people didn't anticipate, I just haven't seen quite enough from him so far, even though he's got this incredible shooting ability and physical tools, to say that, all right, I think this guy is a future superstar now or, or has... I mean, I think he still has that upside, but it's already waning to me, even after seeing him for two months in the NBA. I still like the guy. I still think he's going to be very good. But in general, some of the younger guys, I do tend to elevate, but then I'm also pretty harsh within a year or so of like, all right, it's not going to happen for them, at least at the level that I thought was like a 20% upside of this guy. So I'm going to drop them out. Uh, Anything else, John, that, that you wanted to talk about here before we get started? I just thought it got hard very quickly. Yes. <laughs> harder than, <laughs> harder, harder than, having done this for the first time, this, it was harder than I expected. And I, I think I'm probably still, once we get into debating, I'm probably still going to end up 
moving some of these names around a little. Yeah, I, I think uh, that was the case for me as well. Last thing I'll add, you know, obviously there's, we know that wings are a more valuable position at this point. I also just really value, can you efficiently create shots for yourself? And I was, that is the premium skill. I do think defense is very important. I also think that predicting defense is probably harder. And so that that's another thing. Like, And very few young players are actually really good at defense. But even the ones that we think are amazing at this point, to say, all right, this guy for sure is going to be all defense, defensive player of the year. Like, I think that's harder than to say that, you know, someone like Luka Doncic in his second year is going to be a dominating offensive player. So I, I this offense is more important than defense anyway. It's harder to acquire. So that I, I definitely am going to value that more. And last thing we're going to do too here is, and John, I guess you can kind of do it just more in a vacuum, but uh, since you didn't do this list last year, but we want to give each player a development score for how well they've uh, improved their skill set kind of relative to what just your average expectation well, and, of them. And Nate, been. I don't, I don't know if you keep this on the doc from last year. We're recording this exactly one year later. It was December 21st, 2021 that we did it last time. So we're there, there is a, it's an exact, like, how did this last year go for them? So here's who graduated off my list last year. Trey Young was number four. Jason Tatum was, well, hold on. No, that's, that's wrong. Let me still check it. Trey Young was number two for me last year. Jason Tatum was number four. Those got, two guys were in the same tier. Uh, and then Shea Gilgis-Alexander was number 10 for me. And I also had an honorable mention of Miles Bridges, and then DeAndre Ayton and Jared Allen were the other two who kind of uh, were uh, are gone now from this list. So, uh, and we'll, we can kind of talk about them as we self evaluate at the end here. So, John, I'll give you the honors here. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of suspense, but maybe there will be. Uh, and we're going to do it. We'll do our tier system, obviously, too. That's the other thing. Like, we leave guys in tiers when we think there's a credible argument to have one above the other. New tier means no, not an argument that we would buy to put the guy one guy above the other. So John, number 1 tier 1, who do you got here? Oh, Johnny Davis. <laughs> Are we talking about the top 10? Oh, 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 uh, oh in, sorry, sorry. In, D- different list. Sorry, my in, bad. In the G League playing for the Capital <laughs> City Gogo. I don't, I don't know if I can put him above Isaiah Todd. Uh, <laughs> uh I have player number 1 in a tier by himself, uh Luka Doncic. Yeah, this Same. will be his last season on this list. He's number one for me, too, and Danny, I assume, for you as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, we almost don't really even need to say that much about him, I, I well, think. Here, here's some point. of our listeners might not be familiar with him. <laughs> well, so I'll, I'll say a couple of quick things. One, Luka Doncic, for multiple years now, has already played at an MVP level, and while there are other players who I believe have MVP upside— Luca's already been there. He's already been the best player on a conference finals team. Not an NBA finals team. Nobody's done that yet On this, that's eligible for this list. And the question I wanted to ask both of you is, we recorded this podcast a year ago. I had Luca in a tier one by himself. I believe you did as well. What would, Nate, what would you give him for a development score? Oh, well, it, it was funny because I re-listened to last year's show and he actually was bad up until this point. He was struggling with an ankle injury. He came in out of shape his defense was awful uh, I still had him number one in his own tier even at that point but he hadn't actually had the best season of anyone on this list last year uh but then obviously to get to the conference finals he got a lot better defensively it was a part of a successful defense really 
for the first time in his career. So, I mean, probably like seven or eight, I would say. I mean, I definitely, like to have that level, won his first playoff series. And so, yeah, I, I th- thought, uh, you know, seven or eight, you got to be very pleased with how he's developed so far. I think taking the broader view, like going back to the 2018 draft, I guess, I, I feel like his development has been a tremendous success compared to some oh, yeah. of the things we were nitpicking in the draft room about him. Uh, I think everyone thought he would be Trey Young level bad on defense, and that just hasn't been the case. Um, offensively, uh, he really struggled uh, actually when people would pressure his dribble up the court in yeah. Spain, and that just hasn't been a thing at all in the NBA. He's gotten much more comfortable uh, with with the three, getting to, getting to that step back. He's added so much craft as a finisher. Um, we, he had some of it, but he's added a lot of subtle little stuff, and and it's just made him uh, so much more effective. And I think there were, and it's interesting because he came into the league already fully developed physically, which some guys don't, especially when they're eighteen yeah. or nineteen. And so you wondered, okay, where's where's the upside then? And it turns out he still had all this upside in terms of just skill and craft and different things he could do. On that yep. front, um, one of the things that I put in the development, like in my little notes on it, Luca currently, as we're recording this podcast, has a career high in true shooting, despite his three pointer still not coming all the way around. It's better now. Like now he's up to 35%, but he was, you know, struggling early in the year. And part of that is Doncic, 58% on twos and getting to the free throw line at the highest rate of his career. 10 free throw attempts per 36 minutes is great. And so those, as uh, kind of as John said, the skill developments there, and there's still room for him to improve and grow. Like, I mean, he's only 23, as we're going to – we'll use that phrase similarly in this podcast. And so, yeah, I think I think Luca. I gave him a development score of an 8. The defense has gotten better, kind of finding the ways to and, – and, I mean, I I share some of the criticisms, the, the concerns about how how he's being used and how viable this level of heliocentrism is. But I also don't blame Luka Doncic for that. I blame lots of other people for that. <laughs> hey, you can blame Luca for it a little bit, I a would little. say, because because it part of why Jalen Brunson wanted to leave was because he just wasn't going to get as much opportunity. Like he he wanted to be you know, the, the the engine, and you know maybe if you're playing next to someone as good as Luca, yeah. that's never going to happen. But and and the Mavericks yeah. also may not run a fast break until 2035. Like yeah, I'm just not that, sure it's going to happen. Yeah. I actually do put that on Luca because it's been three coaches. Oh, sorry, two yeah. coaches now. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't want to run. Yeah, right. And it, maybe if they, if you didn't have such a high load, he could push the ball in transition more. But uh, I mean, you can't tell me Jason Kidd doesn't want to run. <laughs> like, well, and was, and and his previous coach Rick Carlisle is running aggressively now with different personnel in India. Right. Yeah, and last thing I'll say, John, going back to his journey here as a prospect, and it's just his birthday hit at a point where this is actually his fifth year on this list, um, and he's been he was three for me the first year, and he's been one the last three years before this one. The his ability in isolation, I mean, that's the thing that I didn't see coming. That like there'd be basically nobody except for like. 15 guys in the whole league that can guard this guy in isolation, right? Like that's, yeah, that's he had, what, he had a hard time against switches in, in his last yeah. year in Spain. Cause he's slow. Yeah. You're like, all right, yeah. well, how's he going to get by guys? But he just has this incredible craft and strength and skill level. And so uh, last thing on, on Luca, he with Seth Partnos total usage has 58.7% total usage. So that includes not only scoring, but also passes that lead to, a shot so potential assists plus 
assists. So basically 58.7% of the time, he is either scoring or making a scoring attempt, making the pass that leads directly to the shot, or turning it over for the Mavs this season. That is four percentage points higher than anybody else in the league, and there are only six players who are over 50% in that statistic. So nobody else in this tier for any of us. One final developmental nitpick. Oh, yes, yes. Still sucks at free throws. Yeah, that is a little odd. And it does make you – like, he was shooting 80% early this year. And like, ooh, wow, maybe he's actually improved that. But, uh, yeah, nope. I, I mean, there is there is just, like, a little something about him where you're like, okay, he gets frustrated. He's leading the league in technicals. He's like – you know, the free throw thing seems like it's just a concentration issue. Like, he's had – you know, Jalen Brunson wanted to leave. He couldn't get along with Porzingis. Like, there's – it does seem like there's just a few things there about him as, like, a leader and – you know, but he's got he's 23 he's got he's playing at an unbelievable level i mean he's been one of the best 20 through 23 year olds in nba history absolutely all right john next player for you tier two number two i had two players in this tier uh i they were drafted right after each other uh i went with ja morant at number two and i went with him over zion williamson because of my perception that i think he will be more durable which, I mean, that's a little questionable too. Like, yeah, it's not like a yeah. sure thing, you know what I mean? But I just felt a little better about him than Zion. Danny? I have the same tier in the same order, and I really grappled with whether to put Zion higher. I mean, first of all, that's the whole idea of a tier. Like, you want it to be that close of a call. But, and, and like, I mean, part of the argument for Williamson is that he played at an all-NBA level before John Morant did. Like, you know, it happened to have been there's a year in between sandwiched where he didn't play at all due to an injury. And the other part of it, like I, I think it's interesting to start with the injury part of it, because I think for we, we both are all three of us think the world of these two players and the injury part of it, like Zion has missed more time, but John Morant has missed time as well. And I'm, you know, so with, with Zion, especially with his weight getting more under control, I'm, I'm kind of I fear John Morant's injuries more game to game, and I fear Zion more week to week and month to month. But I do think that there's a reasonable argument to go in either direction. I will. I hope they're both healthy for the rest of their careers. But like, we'll look at that in five years and just see how it worked out. But the I mean, with John Morant, I mean, it, it was it's especially interesting. Like we talked about a little bit with with Luca about how he couldn't make any threes early in the year. In the very beginning of this season, I thought it was going to be Ja in Tier 2 by himself, but Ja missing some threes, Zion playing awesome for the last few weeks, especially on defense, that's what made them earn the spots in the same tier. Yeah, I still haven't even decided who I'm going to put first, but I think it's pretty obvious that these are, are the next two guys in the next tier. So let me ask you guys to start with John. Who has been better at their best so far out of these guys? Just Just what's happened so far, not looking ahead. It's tough, right? Um, I w- I would say I would say Ja last year was probably a little better than Zion the year before, uh, but it's really close again. And Ja is also a year older, so you you got to remember that too. I would say I think Zion this year in the regular season. Now here's the this is why I initially put Ja a little higher is because he's played well in the playoffs. We haven't seen it yet from Zion. Um, you know, he Jaws had a couple of really good playoff series and moments, but then of course got hurt in the playoffs last year. But I would say in the regular season, Zion this last like month and a half or so, because of his defense being 
passable and even at times good and like the crazy efficiency that he scored with both this year and in his last healthy year when he was basically the engine of a top 10 offense with absolutely nobody else around him um I would say he's reached a higher level in the regular season what do you think of that Danny I think it's fair. I mean, the second half of Zion Williamson's second season, so that was the 2020 slash 21, I think is better than anything Ja has put together right now. But the hard thing is it's not a full season set because they it took time to find point Zion within that right. team. And especially when you add the context. And Stan Van Gundy, I, I think, did a good job eventually entrusting him. But if you think about the combination of the surrounding talent and the like overall like coaching and infrastructure and all that, like John Moran. I mean, we've seen the Grizzlies succeed without him because they have a lot of talent. They have a really good coach. And that is that is relevant. It's not dispositive necessarily. And so I, I think that Zion has played at that level. And the other idea, and people who have a dunked on drinking game, get, get your shot glasses ready, um, I think... How about, can we just have like a glass of beer? We don't want sure, to go that's to the hospital too. here. But like, it's so funny because these players are both so undeniable but like zion has these moments of just oh god what are we gonna do with this and we've seen over the last of the last few years we've seen a couple teams like i mean the the bucks battle plan was really fascinating earlier this week against against him or maybe that was over the weekend and we've seen a couple other teams try some different stuff and like john morant does it in a different way and that's a part of why these two players are in a tier separate from everyone else is that they have reach that level of we have to game plan for this this is the organizational imperative for the opposition in a way that nobody else has yet just yet yeah john what, what's your opinion on just who has reached a higher level so far among these two guys i yeah i, I still kind of think it's it's john just because i mean he held he held it for longer last year and I don't know. We've like we've seen these flashes from Zion, but again, it's like it's 110 career games. He's played half as many yeah. games as Ja, you know, in the in the four years. I I just uh, I, I have a hard time rolling with that. I think it's also a little easier for Ja to dominate a game because the ball is naturally in his hands. Oh, that's a really good point. And on that front, using Seth's total usage for the season, John Morant, 53.1 total usage, Zion Williamson, 40.3. I believe at least two, but probably all three of us think that 40.3 for Zion should be a little bit higher. But it is easier for, as you said, John, for the ball to find John Morant. Nate, how did you how did you deal with the difference in defensive quality between these two? Because that was something a little bit hard for me to square. John Morant, defense is not imperative for a point guard, but we saw the Grizzlies defend at it at an impressive level last year when the primary difference was John Morant was not on the floor. Yeah. And it, you know, he, he is, has been a target in the playoffs, but Zion, you know, we saw Devin Booker absolutely abuse him in that 58 point game too. Like I, I do think that they're like, we need to see him stress tested in the playoffs when teams are going to actually really go after him. Like he's had a few games that have looked pretty good. He's had a few okay moments defending in isolation, but you know, he's got to just be more consistent there. Um, but it, so I think really what it is, it's like if Zion can get to like competence and uh, also make some plays, like if I'm really buying that, then I think Zion, but Ja is a guard. Like you can deal with a guard being bad on defense. I think Ja wants to be better there. I think he'll improve to some degree. Whereas Zion, if he... It, turns out to not be that great in the playoffs we just don't know yet like the strides he's taken have been good but we just don't know yet uh then that really is you know at the four position that's just really really hard to deal with then you also have you know if you're looking on some other teams like zion you still do want to have shooting around him and and i guess i also think 
maybe Jaw is harder to stop in the playoffs than Zion. Because, like Zion, it's like he's going to just completely kill 28 teams in the league or maybe, you know, maybe 26 teams in the league. But if you go up, like he struggled with like Walker Kessler in that, like if you can have a rim protector there that is going to cause him problems, there are a few guys like that. He doesn't really have a plan B, whereas Ja is not going to struggle with something like that. He's too quick. He's got a mid-range game. Like you can see him developing a three-pointer. That would be an antidote to that as well. Like that's, that's happening. Like there isn't really a, John, I would say like, Zion is just, he's kind of like Giannis, although we always thought Giannis would develop a jumper and he never did, but he's kind of like Giannis in that he's just, the only way he can get better offensively is to just like get better at the stuff that he's already doing. Like, whereas Ja, I think could open up some new frontiers for himself with just even kind of average skill development of his jump shot. So John, any last thing you wanted to say here uh, on these guys uh, before we, I I think I'm going to leave Ja at number two, but uh, any last uh, thoughts here? Not really. I think I kind of, uh, em- emptied my uh, my thought barrel already here. Uh, you know the the <laughs> shooting part piece of it, I guess, is the other part. With that, Bogan. that's where I was going to go. Like, so as much as I love Zion, you, we've seen him be significantly more successful when you pair him with another front court player who has incredible jump shot. Because otherwise, they can the other team can have all these guys around the paint, and that means if you're, it's harder to build an optimized squad around Zion Williamson because you still need that defensive anchor too. So you're looking for a unicorn and those unicorns for, fortunately exist. And it just so happens the Pelicans have hopefully the resources to do it, or maybe it can be Larry Nance well enough, but that's not something that is relevant. John Morant can thrive with a lot of different things around him. And I guess the last thing too is when you look at like the leadership and intangibles, I would go with John Morant over Zion, Zion Williamson uh, on that too. I think Zion has made some strides there, but yes. like Ja is the leader of his team. Zion Williamson, it's like, all right, well, hey, could you call CJ McCollum back? Like we're less than a year removed to, from that. There's been all these kind of weird things with his camp and the organization. So, um, so yeah, development grade for John Morant, I'll go with a seven. And Zion, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't play at all last year. Um, but I think his defense has gotten better. So I'll go with the seven for him also. I might give him an eight. Yeah. I gave, I gave Zion an eight and Jaw a six, though I should probably move that up to a seven because of where he was last year. The playoff success is very important in that. Okay, so that's the end of our tier two. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. John, you don't have to say all uh, all of them yet. Actually, no, maybe you should. Give me everyone in your tier three. Everyone in my tier three. All Unless right. it's like thirty guys. No, I have five players in my next tier. Wow. Okay. That's I. I had four. So let's uh, let's hear them. Paolo Boncaro, Evan Mobley, Tyrese Halliburton, 
LaMelo Ball, and Franz Wagner. Ooh. So uh, there's a name that is missing there. Uh, I had Anthony Edwards. I did not have... Franz, I have a lot lower. This is be... I have him down in my tier four in like the eight to 12 range. So I have Edwards in here and I don't have LaMelo. How about you, Danny? My tier three is seven guys. So it's actually the rest of my top 10. Okay. Um, so that'll, that'll, it'll say some things, but so, um, should I just, I'll just, I guess I'll just rattle it off. Uh, yeah. Well, who, who are the ones, is there anyone that we haven't mentioned yet that that's in that group? Uh, I have two. Okay. Darius Garland and Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. So, so I think we're, we're all pretty, pretty close here. Uh, so my tier three, I got four through seven. Edwards is actually my number four. Halliburton five, Mobley six, uh, Bancaro seven. Um, and Edwards is 21, Halliburton 22, Mobley 21 season, and Bancaro age 20 season. Uh, this will be, as again, all of their ages uh, as of February 1st uh, this year. So, John, I'll, I'll let you lead off. Paolo at number four, a guy you did not even have him on, on your board at number one, I think, in the draft this year. This was, I had him second, yeah. Or second, yeah. So uh, tell me why Paolo Bancaro is your number four. I think he's been... Pretty impressive at a very young age, uh, to the point where I think he's I think he's pretty clearly the the lead guy in in an offense or can be the lead guy in an offense. Now there are some efficiency questions here, right? Yeah, yeah. you talk about guys shooting thirty one from three. Form looks okay, not amazing. Um, can be a little stiff still sometimes uh, in terms of being a shot creator. Uh, I don't think he's going to be like an amazing defensive player. Like I think he'll be fine, but that's not. There's not a lot of value add there. At the same time, like this is like they, these guys are just are just so rare. Like his true shooting is actually decent, even with him not making threes because he draws. He's drawing a ton of fouls. Like I said, he's a good passer. I, th- I think he's only going to keep refining that if uh, if Orlando acquires players who can actually make a shot. Uh, I think that might might help um you know maybe like some guards um because you, you've seen even <laughs> like just getting Fultz and anthony back it's like oh okay now we're a real team um yeah so i i i think there's a lot of a lot of upside uh f- for him to be either the either the lead guy on a decent to good offense or the number two guy on a great offense and so that was why, like, it was a little hard for me. I went back and forth on him and Mobley, but I just couldn't get there on Mobley's offense. I, you know, I just don't know if he's ever going to be like that kind of guy. Uh, so, well, and and John, that ties in with what why I ended up with Bancaro fourth as well is mm. the that oh shit undeniable factor. Where I mean, it was funny. I was watching. I think it was the first of the two games okay, they played against the Celtics, which the Magic won both of where Brian Scalabrini just, just keeps on going off about how big Paolo Bencaro is. And like you see, I mean, Paolo Bencaro, rookies don't usually get calls. He's averaging 8.6 free throw attempts per 36 minutes on a team that had no guards, on a yeah. team that has very weird spacing. And generally speaking, that's something I believe in. It, you know, and we're not at a full season sample or anything like that. But Bencaro has something that you can put your hat on. He has been capable enough defensively. You know, it's kind of the Zion threshold to an extent where it's like you can be a piece within your system and we'll see what happens in the playoffs eventually i don't know when we'll see we'll see how many games the magic win the rest of this year and 
again, I talked in the intro about how that MVP, first team, second team, all NBA upside is is a really big priority for me. And if I were to guess any player that we haven't discussed, that wasn't in that top three, that reaches at bare minimum second team all NBA, I'm saying it's Paolo. Ooh, yeah, I, I had Paolo at seven, but again, in this tier. So I, okay, you guys, you guys may well be right about him. I, I guess I'm just not quite believing him as an elite scorer. Yeah, like I just, I don't think he quite has the moves. I like, I don't, it, it's now may, maybe that can be him working against smaller players. Like I, I compared him to kind of a later career Blake Griffin in the draft process and i'm still kind of feeling pretty good about that uh, but i'm just i still wonder about like how unstoppable is this guy going to be in isolation maybe it's just he's going to be so much bigger that, like i think he's i've seen him struggle in isolation against centers so now maybe he just becomes such a good shooter that then you got to get out on him he can blow by um i think his defense has been better than advertised for sure like he actually guarded jason tatum in those celtics games and like i he was okay in isolation and then you know usually whoever you're gonna have him guarding one-on-one like he'll switch so he doesn't have to really get over a screen but you know i think that's and he's could defend okay at the room without following not gonna do much as a help defender but he's not gonna be someone you attack I, i feel pretty confident about that at this point um but yeah i guess i just don't i i'm just a little bit worried that he's gonna be like a dominating score and that like good defenses will be able to shut him down but at 20 you know i'm still very much open to uh the idea of of having him higher you know as we talk through this so i, I mean I've, i'm almost kind of talking myself into because i'm like man i don't know if this is even like a great reason to well have yeah like i mean below these other guys I, I think an interesting comparison and this was one i grappled with because i kind of thought about my players in different originally it was in different silos so you had the like offensive engine guys so the Albertans of the world. And then you had the, and that had some bigs. We will talk about Mobley shortly, I'm sure. And then the wild cards. And I, I, what I eventually came to was this idea, like I love Tyrese Halliburton. And I think he, he has earned a place in this tier for me. And, and um, I think he's probably around this for all of us. But if I were to guess whether Halliburton or Bancaro, like which of them is the best player in a playoff series against a credible opponent first, like, I, I love Halliburton for what he is, but I just, he's not physically dominant enough necessarily for that. And, like, he's a different type of player. I mean, I had Halliburton, he just missed my All-NBA, and Paolo wasn't there so far. So, it's it's kind of, in a weird way, and I think, Nate, one of the guys we can talk about next is Anthony Edwards. In a way, it's kind of the same bet as Anthony Edwards for a different player. So, I guess maybe the thing about Paolo for me is that we're getting to the point here in these rankings where... Maybe it's more valuable to be an awesome number two than a number one because if this if these guys were going to be number ones, then they'd be higher, right? Like to just like number one on a best on a championship team, where like to be Tyrese Halliburton, like I agree with you, Danny. Like I don't know if he could be the best player on a championship team, but I feel very confident he could be the second best player. And he with his shooting ability, he fits in. I'm a little worried about his defense in the playoffs too, but like he's probably a top 20 offensive player in the NBA right now. Like he could be like a Chris Paul possibly level of player, maybe not quite as dominating as an on-ball pick and roll score, but he also can shoot the ball and you know come off screens, push the ball in transition. Like he can do everything, play any role offensively. So I feel like he can just fit in offensively on so many teams. And oh by the way, he's playing by far the best of any of the guys left on this list I would say this season like he's a top 20 and maybe even higher offensive player in the NBA right now he's top five in total usage 
you know, 10.7 assists per game. I mean, it's just a, a pretty insane. So, John, I, 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 we've thrown a lot out there here. Um, do you, anything more on Paolo, or do you want to uh, talk Halliburton a little bit here? Yeah, we can talk Halliburton. I had him number six. Uh, again, for all the reasons you mentioned, uh, I like him a little better than LaMelo Ball, who I had seventh, even though uh, Ball is still uh, younger by a year or two, I believe. Um, yeah. And, you know, with LaMelo, it's a little bit like with Tyrese and Sack. Like, you have to separate the player from the shit show that's surrounding them, or, yeah. or at least attempt to. Uh, th- there are things that trouble me about a- LaMelo as far as, like, when you move to the highest levels. Like, what what is he – like, in the half court, there's still this question of, like, like what do you do, actually? Um, like, as awesome yeah. as he is in transition. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of concern with that. But yeah. I, I wish we just had more of a sample from this season. Like I've yeah. actually really liked what I've seen from him in the what I think seven games. Yes, that he's that he's played. Like I think he actually has come in with some new tricks as a shooter this year. But yeah, I mean it was just it was tough. You just had to kind of just go on what he did last year and like extrapolate forward. So that's that's why I had him a little bit lower. Uh, you know, I'm kind of worried about his defense as well. But yeah, I, I, that's why I couldn't put him in the, in this group. And maybe he would have done enough if he had played to get himself into this group. Oh, you didn't? Ha- you did not have him in this tier. Uh, no, I had him in my next group. I did have him at the top of my next group. Though, okay, number eight. Okay, yeah. Um, but, so, but yeah, but let, let's finish up on on Halliburton real quickly here. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, how do you feel about these? Uh, this idea of like Tyrese Halliburton being you know, the best player on a good playoff team. I think that could be the case next year. Yeah. But it's like probably the best player on like an Indiana Pacers good playoff team. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. yeah. Hey, 48 wins, fifth seed, you know, maybe we win around and then play boss or Milwaukee and just get stomped. His, his isolation game, like some of the numbers on it actually have been okay. And like his off the dribble shooting, but I do wonder, like it's a really locked in defense, you know, that has, capable switch defenders like can he really beat that you know and like okay maybe he can find the guy slipping like use his passing some but at the end of the day you can only be so good in the nba if you can't beat an elite defense one-on-one and another kind of element along those lines is Halliburton 6'5 he has you know he has good height for a point guard but you don't really see that impact too much defensively he hasn't I, i i i thought I hoped Halliburton was going to be maybe a little bit more of a, not as much a defensive playmaker, steal rate's all right, but a, you know, a more capable, like, he's in front of the guy and doesn't make an obvious mistake type of player. Like, I don't think he's a sip. I think that's, you know, and, and when you get into the higher levels, you, you have to, you have to have some other stuff around him. And I think that's fine. But I, I, and I, and I love Halliburton. And I mean, the, like, for, like, in terms of a development score, like, he got a nine for me. Like, I, I, and maybe that's, maybe it should have been a 10 just because of how, how he's improved. And remember, when we did this last year, Tyrese Halliburton, like, he was in my, he wasn't even in my honorable mention. He was in my prospects to watch, though I believe yeah. at that point he was still on the Kings. Yeah, no, he was. I, I looked it up actually. He was averaging like 13 points and six assists with like league average true shooting and, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I guess there's a good argument that De'Aaron Fox and him maybe weren't the best fit together. Yeah. Uh, but I was, I was kind of like, you know, Tyrese Halliburton was just like a, a guy, you know. I mean, but it, and that's it's sort of the danger of doing it at this time. Uh, it, it clearly was very wrong uh, that you know I didn't think he had the juice to be the lead engine of a, a good offense, and that obviously was was wrong. Like he, he already is doing that at 22. Um, John Anthony Edwards not in this tier for you. 
Adam Tenth. Um, I guess I. Wait, what what are the things that he's really good at right now? Like shot creation, I guess. And I that mean, could, that offers seven percent from three. That offers a really difficult attempts. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, John. Okay. Yeah. So there. So like, there's definitely upside with that. But like, Franz Wagner is younger than he is, and I think he's a better player right now. So that that's why I had Wagner in this tier and Edwards in the next one. Um, I don't know. Am I am I crazy for thinking that? No, I don't think you're crazy for thinking that. I. I might you think I'm crazy for entirely different reasons. <laughs> well, it depends like what your coffee intake is at, at that particular time. <laughs> um, but I, so for, for me, Edwards, I, I, again, I really struggle with this. I'm even open to moving, moving these guys around, but I, I think Edwards still has the highest upside of this group. And that's eventually what I defaulted to. And to see him guarding John Morant in the playoffs, shooting 40% for three, which I, you know, that's, subject to some vagaries but you know i mean he's been now over 35 percent from three on a very difficult diet of attempts well nate i Um, actually have a stat on that sorry not to derail you but so no no anthony edwards the last two years so this year and last he roughly shot about 42 percent on catch and shoot threes and 35 percent on pull-up threes of course taking more pull-ups than catch and shoots because he has that difficult diet and like yeah you can shift those proportions around I think like you look, you look. We 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 wondered about him, and I mean, I had this idea that his his shot selection and the opportunities at Georgia were so bad that it wouldn't take as much to make him a credible shooter. And I think he's established that credible shooter. He's not an ace or anything like that just yet. But like thirty five percent on pretty high volume of pull up threes for Anthony Edwards, like I'm pretty happy with that. Well, and I will say this: I think that Edwards has the lower median outcome than Halliburton, Mobley. And Ben Carroll. Uh, I, I think that and the guy said I have below him, but in this tier as of now. And it's just I, I with that athleticism, that body able to really, I think he'll be able to guard just about anybody that's not like a really great post player in, in theory. Um, extremely athletic. Like it just, if we did this after that playoff series last year, like I think most people, and including me, would be like, well, how is this even a discussion? Like how is he like, any of these guys close to where he is now he's had a disappointing start to the year it's kind of been a shit show there uh, as well um you know he's been part of that his he's seems like a a fun guy to be around but you know he came in out of shape and doesn't seem to like have the greatest basketball iq although he's really improved his defensive effort at times so i'm like there's a lot of risk with him still but i still think the the upside is high enough that just for what i value we're talking about the best guy in a playoff series on a really good team. Like this is the guy of anyone left on this list. Other than maybe, maybe one other guy that's not even in this tier, but he's the guy I could most see possibly doing that. Even if uh, the, as John has noted, like he just hasn't been as good as some of these other guys. So any reaction to that, John? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. I just, he's just a guy. I wonder if like the idea of Anthony Edwards and the reality of Anthony Edwards are ever going to collide. It's it's a great point. And I mean, with Edwards, part of the sales pitch is if he does the good things that he's doing now and he does the good things he does sometimes, that's a really, really good player. And he hasn't quite accomplished that yet. And I think that's it. it you know, so Edwards last year, so I'm using the full season, 0.852 points per possession as a pick and roll scorer. Add, you can, that goes up to 0.925, including passes. They did have Carl Anthony Towns, the second most offensively talented big man in the entire league on that team. And the... Wolves' offensive numbers when it was just Edwards, no Towns, weren't 
fantastic, but I mean, incredible athlete and has applied it on both ends of the floor at different times. And then the last thing I want to say on Edwards is 36% total usage. I want to see that significantly higher. And I would argue that some of the best Wolves offensive games I've watched this year have been Edwards centric rather than the other guys centric. Yeah, so let, let's talk Wagner here now, John, since you have him uh, higher than we do. I, I've got him, I don't have him in my top 10, but I have him in the in the 8 to 12 range, but towards the bottom of, of that group. Um, da- Danny, quickly, where, where did you have Wagner? Very similar to you. He was, uh, I, I drew the line slightly differently, but I seriously considered it from the top 10. It actually hurt me to not include him. Because yeah. he's done, he's done so well. He has there. There are very few things. If you look at Franz Wagner's NBA re- re- resume, like I mean, I didn't love him as a prospect, but he has been excellent. Yeah. So, John, give me the case for Edwards, or I'm sorry, not Edwards, uh, for Wagner in this group. Uh, so I had him eighth. Um, I think when you look at weaknesses with him, one of them right now is still the three pointers. On the other hand, he's an 87% career foul shooter, so I have maybe a little more faith that that he's going to uh, shape up on on the threes. There's a little bit yeah, of like, and, that- and quickly on the on that point, John, just to what you said, catch and shoot, or, or not catch and shoot, but uh, team created threes as per Seth stats, that basically threes with less than two seconds of touch time. Mm-hmm. He's 42%, and he's 25% on self created threes. That's what's dragging down his numbers. Yeah, and he has some of that. Uh, thing that Halliburton had which is because he's shooting a push shot like the, some of the footwork gets a little screwy and and it's a little harder for him to gain separation but he is six foot nine so um he has that going for him I think he is really good when he gets downhill and if he played in an offense that had more spacing and had more opportunity to do that he'd, he'd be able to show that more often I think he's defensively um uh, you know I, th- I think he's ahead of uh Edwards certainly ahead of Lamelo. Um, <laughs> well, that wouldn't take much. And uh, and and again, he's like he played. People are. I think I still think people are messed up with him because he played two years at Michigan. Like he's he he's just turned twenty one in August. Yeah, yeah. He has uh, Franz Wagner has the same basketball reference age, so he's uh, basketball reference age twenty one. That's the same as Lamelo Ball, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley. Anthony Edwards. So it's like, you, you, we don't think of those guys because they came into the league with different statures at different times, but they all have, and basketball reference age, you know, that's, it's sometimes it's about where you are within the block. But like, I mean, that's a, a really good point for Wagner is that while he played a couple years in college and like he didn't come in the same track, like he is, he is about that. And you brought up Wagner's defense. I think that's, an, it's it, a challenge that I have with him, I, as much as I've been impressed by Wagner's defense, is what is his role on a successful team? Because he, he, he might be being hurt by me unfairly in the same way that I've criticized somebody like Aubrey Markkinen, where it's like, he doesn't really, he, I don't love him as a help defender, I don't love him as an on-ball guy, but he can do everything pretty well. Like, how valuable, like, if you, John, if you were constructing a team, what would your vision be for what you want Wagner's defensive role to be? I think he's guarding threes and fours interchangeably. Like I, I don't, I don't think I would ever use him as a five. But you know, he's just in my switchable scheme, one through four or whatever. Like I, I think he could handle all that and be and be fine. And that's, I honestly, that's that's usually what you're asking of most of these most of these guys in in high level games. What about his his offensive role, John? Like, what do you see uh, as his uh, offensive upside? 
Because that was the issue that I had as far as bringing him up of just, are you really giving this guy the ball all the time? Or is it kind of more a complimentary piece? Like, let's have him get downhill, you know, from the second side and get to the basket. But we can't just throw this guy the ball and let him distribute to everyone out of pick and roll or out of the post or something like that. I, I think right, I mean, right now, I think he's a, he's a number two. Right, like the, yeah. you're, you're on a good. I, he's not. He's not carrying you to a top ten offense right now. Like, there's no way. Um, but again, he's he's young enough. Now he doesn't he doesn't have crazy explosiveness, but he handles the ball very well for his size. He's very good once he gets downhill with the long strides and the leaping. Oh yeah. Uh, so so he's got that going for him. He's pretty good in transition. So again, again, he's just not taking anything off the table really. And, and especially if you can just if you just make a few more threes off the dribble, I think that would really open up some things for him. Now, I don't know, maybe that never comes around. But I, I guess like I like him a lot in pick and roll, getting to those long strides against a drop coverage. Like he'll just go at anybody, and like he doesn't shoot an amazing percentage overall in contested finishes at the rim. Like I think he's in the the mid fifties there, but he's taking incredibly difficult shots. He's only going to get better at that and like he, those like running hooks that he has the euro steps like it's incredible for that but i don't other than that in his offensive game he's like a you know he's a capable kind of cutter and team player but i just like if you're gonna switch against him how is he getting to his shot that's kind of the question that i have like I, he doesn't really have a mid-range game you mentioned he kind of shoots that set shot got like a little bit of floater game but how is he going to create a shot one-on-one that's the ultimate question that prevented me from putting him a little bit higher okay that will do it for part one of the top prospects in the nba we will have the conclusion out tomorrow talk to y'all soon hope you enjoyed part one of the prospect rankings if you want part two you can subscribe to dunk on prime at dunkdown.supportingcast.fm and once again it does make a great gift if there's someone in your life who you know loves basketball wants more basketball content dunkdown.supportingcast.fm At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.